want to thank Stacy and Neil and all of the choir for reminding us about the total power and praise that goes to God alone, especially at Christmas time. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing them again uh, in a few nights, Christmas Eve, five and seven. Now imagine, if you will, what would it be like if everyone in your neighborhood was singing that song today? Hard, isn't it? Can you do it, though? Can you imagine that all gospel-preaching churches in the world were right now filled to overflowing this morning in their worship services? Could you think about, what about you're driving along our area in the middle of the week and you see new construction and instead of it's saying there's a new Chick-fil-A or Wawa being built. It says so-and-so, such-and-such church is under construction. What if there were so many newly constructed churches because so many people were coming to faith in Christ and the buildings couldn't keep up with the people? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine even let's say, stadiums and arenas being packed with people of all ages and backgrounds who are there not to see a game, but to worship with total praise our triune God. Can you imagine that? Well, this beautiful time of universal worship will someday be a reality. The same God who predicted that a branch would grow from David's tree to give us hope. The same prophet that said a boy would be born to a virgin to awaken faith in people. The same prophet who predicted that the Messiah would be joy to sorrowful people is the very God who paints this beautiful picture of a time in the future that is so different from today, and I'm sure that we're all going to wish we were there right now. So I'll invite you to take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Today in the book of Isaiah, and every Sunday in Advent, we have been looking at this 700 B.C writing, it's one of the oldest books in our Old Testaments, and contained in it are these foreshadowings of Christmas, of Jesus, the Messiah, and much more. Here's what Isaiah says. Verse 1 tells us the background. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. 
The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That description of a peaceful, whole world, um, Isaiah says, will happen sometime. And do you see how he dates it? I mean, not according to our calendar, but he says right at the beginning, he says, this will happen in the last days, the last days. So when is that? That's a phrase that's found uh, 14 times in the Old Testament. And it's a way that the Old Testament describes the final piece of history. Like the last bookend that God has created. Here's a graphic that will show you, I hope, what the Old Testament prophets are doing. They look at the time that they're in, which started in the Garden of Eden, but soon became fallen, a world of sin and evil and suffering, and they call that this age, this present time period. But they always say something as coming that is so much better. They will say that what begins it is the coming of God from heaven to earth. Things just don't naturally get better. They don't evolve into something good. In fact, it looks like things are devolving. And then suddenly God comes to straighten it out, to set the world right. And that pivot point, that hinge in history, the Bible calls the last days. Sometimes in the Old Testament it's called the day of the Lord. And so what's this future world look like? Well, did you see in verses uh, 2 and 3, it talks about God being universally worshipped and followed. It looks at the holy city, Jerusalem, the place where God's temple was in the Old Testament, is now the highest of the mountains. In <clears throat> biblical times, uh, the pagan gods lived at the top of the mountains. Zeus on Mount Olympus and the Canaanite gods, Baal and Asherah, on the high hills. So the picture here is that God wins. There is no competition. Someday God himself will be all in all, and his temple will be exalted as the one worship center for the entire planet. And all nations, all the peoples, not just the people of Israel, will be being taught by God himself. Not mediated revelation, like 
That's what I'm doing to you today, right? I'm telling you from God's word about God's teaching. But someday you'll hear it straight from God. And not just you, but every single person on planet Earth. There will be no competition. There will be no religions, plural. There will be one faith in the true and living God. That's the vision. And once that happens, it starts to flow down into the lives of people. So that verse 4 says, the nations that come to worship and learn are now asking God to settle disputes. And God does that. So much so that the people say, well, this uh, spear, I'm not going to use it to hurt anybody. I could use it to plant some vegetables. And so the the arms become now tools of farming. That's the picture. That's a world of peace, a world of, ah, you don't have to worry who's behind you. <clears throat> As a nation, you realize how many billions of dollars just our nation spends on defense every year let alone all the years that have transpired since this prophecy and all the nations of the earth that have been warring and fighting each other. What kind of world would that be like? Where you don't have to lock your car or your house or worry that if you lose something, you may not get it back or you won't have to worry about peace treaties that you hear about now being negotiated, and maybe not. Well, you say, hold it, that's, that's a dream world. Well, that's the real world of the future. That's what God is telling us here in Isaiah. And there's a word to describe all of this. It's not here in Isaiah 5. It's in other <clears throat> places of Scripture. Sorry. <clears throat> someday my voice will be restored and hopefully I don't have to wait for that yet future world. You know, Pastor Neil and Pastor John were emailing me, are you going to be okay for Sunday? And my voice was fine yesterday. I said, sure, no problem. And then I wake up this morning and I have a throat coat tea that Jim has so graciously prescribed. I think it's working. Okay, so what do you call it when things should be the way they were made to be? What is that Bible word that it uses in the Old Testament to describe this new Eden? Could we call it that? The word that you would put above it is peace. Peace. Not so much heaven, heaven is up there, but heaven brought to earth is the way it ought to be. Or in Hebrew, <clears throat> shalom. When we say the word peace, usually we think absence of trouble, right? Like, oh, I'm just waiting for the day after Christmas when it will be peaceful and quiet around here. But until, and, and so what you mean is, yeah, they're gone, 
the stuff is unwrapped, we're eating leftovers and relaxing, that kind of thing, right? But that's not the picture of peace in the Bible. Shalom, rather than meaning the absence of bad things, means the presence of all the good things. Wholeness, prosperity, flourishing, something like that. So I'd like to ask, is that kind of peace on earth today? What we just read about in Isaiah? When so many people don't worship Jesus, when national wars mirror the arguments of politicians, our co-workers, maybe our families, husbands, wives, children, parents, well, I don't have to have you say anything. We'd all answer, of course not. This is not here. A few moments ago, we sang a Christmas carol that was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who wondered about this, this very question, during the Civil War in 1863. He had children that were killed and maimed in that war. And remember the verse? And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That same kind of dissonance marks something else that is up in New York City. There's a park across from the United Nations. And on the walls of this park are inscribed the very words that we read in Isaiah 4.4. See that? They shall beat their swords into plowshares. And it's at the United Nations. Now, that's a noble goal, but the 20th century was one of the bloodiest centuries since this was written. I, I heard that on Christmas Day, there's a movie coming out called 1917. Have you heard about this? It's about World War I. It's supposed to be one of the best movies ever made to describe what <clears throat> war is really like. Well... How do we reconcile this seeming contradiction, right? I mean, here we are singing about it, talking about it. Christmas carols say it. What's the disconnect? How do we reconcile lack of peace now with the birth of Jesus, who is called the Prince of Peace? Well, I'd like to say that there's two things we need to understand. Number one, we need to <clears throat> excuse me, understand what the Bible actually said happened when Jesus came. Remember the story of the angels coming to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. And the King James Version reads, And on earth peace, goodwill to men. That sounds like peace is going to cover the globe. 
and goodwill will just flow from people's hearts and everybody's going to get along. It sounds that way, doesn't it? But better translated, it should read something like this. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Or the ESV, among those with whom he is pleased. So let's make sure that when we hear about peace on earth, goodwill to men, we don't misinterpret what the New Testament tells us really happened at Christmas. Those angels announced that peace would come only to certain people, those who find God's favor. That's a, another way to say those who, by grace, trust Jesus, the newborn Savior. See how different that is? We also have to remember how God fulfilled his promise about peace in the age to come. Now, remember, a few minutes ago, um, I gave you this graphic. So in the Old Testament, the prophets were looking ahead, and they saw one event, God coming to earth, that would change the earth into the new heaven and the new earth. But in the New Testament, when Jesus came, something happened that those Old Testament prophets didn't sort out. As we heard in today's Advent reading, and wasn't that so special? Uh, thank you all for participating in that, those of you that did. The reading was from Luke chapter 1. It was, it, uh, the words are recorded by Zechariah, who was a priest, and he was talking about his son, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would prophesy about the Messiah, and these words are written, who will give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God to guide our feet in the path of peace. There it is again. Not just the angels, but now Zechariah. So when the Son of God came to earth at Christmas, what happened to that promise of the beautiful future age to come? It's still there, right? But it gets pushed ahead. And at Christmas, <clears throat> that future kingdom of God broke into this world a world filled with sin and darkness. This world now encounters a touch of peace and life from God. As people follow Jesus in God's new kingdom, they begin to experience some of that future coming age. Remember last week, Pastor John referred to this <clears throat> as the already and the not yet. the book we use in CBT, I quote from, people come alive and taste heaven while still living on earth. The kingdom of God has already arrived, 
but it has not fully come and completely arrived yet. Does that make sense? So what do we have at Christmas? We have the beginning of those blessings of the future oozing into this present evil age. And as we follow Jesus, we, we tap in in many ways to those blessings that we'll have in fullness someday. God entered this world at Christmas and makes peace possible now. By sending Jesus early, God gives people the possibility of experiencing a microcosm of that peace that will be fully experienced in the coming age. Only when we come to love the Prince of Peace do we begin to experience his peace. So let me ask, on this Christmas Sunday, do you have the peace, the peace inside <clears throat> that comes when you fully and only trust in Jesus for everything in your life? You see, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> almost finished the tea, almost finished the sermon. <laughs> so let me ask you, are you at war with God? Because his hands are open. They are inviting you home. He's waiting for you to put down your weapons. And his arms were open wide on the cross of Good Friday, just like Jesus' little arms were open when he was born as a baby. And he's inviting you even now to come and rest and find peace that only he can bring. Jesus said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I ask you again, do you feel God's peace in your soul right now? Does being eternally loved and cared for by the triune God help ease those fears and insecurities that you deal with? Does it really? Do you have it? And if you say, oh, what's your next point? Come on, move. I'm not going to move because maybe God is moving in your soul now. And maybe it's time for you to move to him. I wish you'd do it. You will find something that I am only describing. And you'll know it when you find it. Paul says in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's how you can test this. What's upsetting to you today? What's got you on edge? What do you wish you could avoid? What keeps you up at night? What, right? Now, what do you do with that? You either let it razzle you and frazzle you, and somehow you medicate it away, or you entertain it away, or in some way you push it and keep pushing until you hope it leaves, or you take it and you wrap it up. You can put a bow on it and send it off to God. Lord, I don't know what to do with this, but you're in charge of the universe, and you have made peace with me. Lord, and when you give it to God, something happens. Peace comes. Peace comes. And you may have to take, you may find that that package comes back and it's under your tree again. And you may have to say, Lord, now, I thought I prayed this away to you. You may have to give it back. And that's okay. Because this is not a once and done thing. This is the life of a Christian as we exchange our worries for his peace, peace that can be felt. So do you enjoy peace with God that spills over even to your relationships? Because you see, if this is the real you on the inside between you and God, that can't help but come out when you deal with people that you have an issue with. So Paul says in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. Paul also says in Romans 14, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yeah, some people, very difficult. But as far as it depends on you, make sure that you are sharing peace. So what's it look like? Contentment is another way that you could say peace is infused in the midst of our fragmented world. What if we all moved through our lives lacking the feeling of lack? What peace can you bring to your world this week in these next few days through your contentment in Christ? It might look like less stress about what you get instead of what you're giving. It might mean asking questions that get to the heart of a person's real needs instead of just say, staying on the surface in a conversation. It might mean listening more than talking, <coughs> which is easy to do if you've got a cold. But really, listening more to the person that God puts near you. Well, 
the angel's message is for us today. In a few minutes, we're going to close by singing that message. We're going to sing it a little bit in Latin, Gloria in excelsis Deo, which in English means glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those with whom God's favor rests. So I'm going to pray right now a prayer that I'm borrowing from St. Francis, who wrote it a thousand years ago. You may know it, and you may want to pray it with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.